This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode of Better Cast Saul is brought to you by Simple Contacts. Get $20 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash BCS or enter BCS at checkout. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I am Aaron. And today we're talking about season four, episode nine, titled Wiedersehen. Aaron, after second, second, maybe third, even viewing, what'd you think of it? Uh, I still continue to think it's, uh, it is what an episode of Better Call Saul should be. Um, it's still uh, slow, deliberate, uh, stately in pacing. Uh, it takes its time to, uh, but, but all, all those things are virtues, you know, building that tension with Werner down in the hole, um, you know, kind of being able to... I don't know what what do you call that? Uh, have, be vicariously in that tense situation with Jimmy and the in the uh, reinstatement hearing. Um, you know the kind of menace of what's going on with Eladia or um, Lalo and Hector. Like I I, I thought it was all great and uh, the acting was top notch. Um, I thought Vince Gilligan did a hell of a job shooting this episode and directing the actors as he typically does, and uh, I, re- I really enjoyed it. It really sets the table for a potentially thrilling and interesting season finale that uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what they do with the, the last season. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I liked it just as much the second time. Uh, I thought the, the Kim and Jimmy scene where you know Jimmy has just found out he's not reinstated uh, and he just blows up all over Kim, and Kim you know, doesn't just roll over and take it she kind of punches back a little bit i Mm -hmm. think was awesome um those two actors just over the course of this entire show have been bringing it and they have great chemistry even when they're arguing uh and i was just really riveted by those scenes yeah uh you're right that um top notch it reminds me of some of the emotional ferocity that we've seen from like uh chuck and jimmy Mm -hmm. over the years um and it was it was pain it was painful to watch but a long time coming and it's also painful because uh i think jimmy has successfully roped kim back into his bullshit (laughs) Uh Uh, like i said the second time where the tension of like all she has to do is sit on the couch drink her beer and let this fucking sad sack guy pack his shit up into his box and move back into the nail salon and she's rid of him forever Mm -hmm. um and she doesn't she can't uh it's uh it's it's tragic it is and i want to shout out the uh better call Saul insider podcast this week because i think they had one of their best episodes ever uh they had dave porter on and they had ray seahorn on and 
uh, Ray got to talk a lot about these scenes and what goes on in her process um, and kind of what it, it, I know Vince Gillian, Peter Gould, those guys talked about like some of the questions I guess we had as far as Kim turning to the scam side of, of the force mm-hmm. uh, so quickly and so violently um, sort I, of out of nowhere. I didn't have a chance to listen to the 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 insider podcast. I I did uh, you know I checked that Reddit, compiled all the feedback, I spun through some uh, professional reviewers like Steppenwall. Um, I'm curious to see what they had to say. What was uh, like? Can you elaborate on like what that 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 uh, insight was? Um, uh, I mean, a lot of the time it was. <laughs> It was kind of what we expect, um, uh-huh. you know, or kind of the things that we talked about, how Ray is trying to find, or Ray, how Kim is trying to find her way uh, through this sort of minefield of her relationship, both with the law professionally and with Jimmy as, mm-hmm. as someone she enjoys uh, being with. So it, it's, it is complicated, and they know it's complicated, and they know that some of this feels very strange because it all kind of feels very strange to Kim. But I, I really think, like, I can't do justice in summing it up. They have a lengthy mm-hmm. discussion. And this is why I liked this particular episode of Breaking Bad Insider so or sorry, Better Call Saul Insider so much, is because they have a lengthy discussion. They they go in depth about this stuff. They have Dave Porter on, and he goes into depth about some of his process with the music. Right. Uh, which was super fascinating. He uh, always the, is. the way he, he approaches this stuff. One of, I think, our best interviews we've ever done, not that we've done a shit ton of them, but was interviewing Dave Porter about his musical process. And the fact that he has to turn that stuff around in, in, in record time is amazing. Yeah, does, and, and just everything he thinks about when creating the score for this show, it, it yeah. really impressed me, I guess. Huh. It's funny because the way you're talking um, about the insider stuff makes it seem like the end of Greece, you know, where Olivia Newton John comes out to, at the end to John Travolta's like you better, you know, she's she's got the the leather jacket and she's smoking cigarettes and you know you better shape up, because I need a man and I'm like I, I don't I don't know about all that I don't know about all that. Okay, um, I don't get the reference. Sorry. It just says, uh, have you not seen Grease? No. Have you literally not seen Grease? No, I've never Holy seen Grease. Holy shit. Holy shit. It's a good thing that we don't do commission podcasts anymore because every female pod listener to this podcast would commission to make you watch it. Um, <laughs> all right. Sorry. Thought I thought thought there's no way you would have made it 30-some uh, years on this planet without seeing it. But I, I'm sure that the listeners know. Yeah. The listeners are, are saying, yeah, oh, I get that. Yeah, but it's essentially, you know, that's the story. Like, Grease is essentially a story of a good girl who's being romanced with a bad bad boy with a good heart. And, like, at the end of the movie, it's kind of like the resolution is they try to meet each other in the middle. Um, and I feel like this, since she shows up in a leather jacket, chain-smoking, and Jimmy still has got, you know, full-on greaser and doesn't, doesn't give a shit. But I don't know. I, I'm going to have to definitely listen to Insider before next week because uh, sounds like a good one. Yeah, it was a real good one. Hey, before we get into much further into the episode, I want to talk about what's going on here at BaldMove.com. First, uh, something we've been doing throughout the season on our podcast, but uh, a lot of, if you're an American, a lot of states are closing their voter registration in the next few days or in in, in the next week, Uh, which means if you show up to vote and you're not registered, uh, you will be turned away from the election this November. You can go to vote.org or headcount.org to quickly find out whether your registration is valid. And that's really important if your name has changed, because if you got married or you've been divorced or you're a student and you've moved to another state, 
Um, you know, a lot of people can get uh, surprisingly thrown off the voter registration rolls. Don't let that happen to you. It's quick and easy to go to vote.org or headcount.org and check your registration status and even get registered if the state allows you to register online or it allow you to generate the paperwork needed to get that done. Uh, finally, or not finally, uh, additionally, we are doing the Empire Business, which is a special club feature where we take you behind the scenes to kind of give you information on how a internet uh, podcasting startup is run. We've talked about uh, different expos we went through this year, advertising. Uh, we did a deep dive on advertising and podcasting this week. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, various things such as the studio tour and the decommissioning of the old bald move studio. And we still have a, the state of the empire where we talk about all of our different finances. Uh, if you're a club member, check that out. Or if you're curious, join the club. Uh, we are currently covering HBO's the deuce on bald move television. Uh, you know that we're doing better call Saul. And we also know that we do instant talks and instant takes, uh, on the Monday episodes. But unfortunately, Due to me traveling, uh, I will not. We will not be able to do an instant talk for this finale episode. It's a bummer. Uh, I wish we could, but it's just not going to happen. I want to let everybody know about that. Uh, Cecily and I are doing an American Horror Story podcast. If you're into some crazy kind of spooky Halloween stuff, we're doing that instant take every Wednesday night, and then we have a feedback Friday on Friday. Uh, Speaking of Cecily, Jim and Cecily did a podcast on Ozark on the Bald Move TV feed, uh, where you can also listen to The Deuce. Check that out. And that's all that's going on this week at baldmove.com. Okay, are we ready to get into our full discussion? The recap? So ready. All right, we start off with Kim and Jimmy running a scam to get the plans for this building proposal of Mesa Verde's Lubbock office changed. Uh, and it's, it's involved, but essentially they... Uh, they Kim comes in and verifies that her copy of the plans is identical to the one that the office has. They destroy the office copy, and the the person behind the desk there rubber stamps her her copy, which she swaps out for uh, an updated one. Yes, uh, I do think that this is one of the most uh, the more ominous signs of foreshadowing for the doom of Jim and Kimmy or Kimmy Jesus Jimmy and Kim. <laughs> Uh-huh. Because they're 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 quite literally messing with Texas here, Jim. Oh, that's true. And yeah. uh, I just it just it just doesn't go well for people to do. Um, I we talked about this in instant take, but I just want to say that it was really good to see Gladys from the Leftovers uh, doing some nice character work here. She's the the records lady that's rubber stamping uh, Kim in solidarity of women everywhere. And mm-hmm. what I thought was really next level about this scam is essentially. Kim plays it so slick that it's always Gladys's idea. Yeah. Like right. she doesn't suggest she's just she's just laid out this the scenario of this young woman who's doing things on her own and has a little kid and her idiot brother's helping and her idiot brother's put her in a compromised situation and she's put upon and she doesn't she doesn't direct Gladys to do anything mm-hmm. and she doesn't lead her. She's just like the Gladys herself is convinced. I know it's not her name. I'm just making it the leftovers joke. She, she is convinced that she's verified. The copies are the same. It's identical. And she's just like, you know, what's, what's the harm? I wonder, I wonder if the rubber's ever going to meet the road here. If we're supposed to understand that, like no one's ever going to take a look, um, ever, you know, maybe it's, maybe that's so like when they go through the inspections and the variant, like they're just like, Oh, yep, this is the stamped copy and everything's fine. Um, 
I, I wonder if there'll be any more blowback from that. But it was a really elegant scam. I think that if Gladys had like sit there like a you know with a stone faced look on her, that Kim would have started to be like suggesting like you know these copies are. But like it was slick and confident. Mm-hmm. Put the confidence in the confidence scam to allow her to draw the own conclusions and be like, "Hey, sister, let's let's let me help you out here." Yeah, for sure. That's how the best scams work. Uh, yeah, she at some point felt like she was helping Kim. Right, and that's the uh, thing she wanted to. And that's what I like. You know, sometimes I like having a bit of an adversary relationship with the show. Like from time to time, that happens when we're we're covering, and like you know, I know we are pretty critical about the last episode especially in the episodes leading up to it and that was great because like in the first in the first that cold open i'm like oh great a kim and jimmy scam and oh here comes jimmy Uh the dumbass and his flip-flops he's gonna you know do some kind of weird distraction and then they're gonna swap the plans which is essentially what happened but i just felt like everything was thought a level or two more um and (laughs) yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things they talk about in the Insider Podcast is the scene and how they got to it. And uh-huh. they had initially a scene where Jimmy was just a real fucking nasty guy. Like, he was mm-hmm. coming in and he was trying to hit on Kim. And, like, there was some elaborate thing they were doing there. And it was it was kind of a much simpler scene and a much cruder scene. Right. And they said, you know, this isn't working, so let's go back to the drawing board. And I I think it's probably crucial here that Vince Gilligan had a lot of input on this scene as far as ideas coming up with how to make it feel more natural, uh, how to make it a better scene. So, and I think it paid off because that's the thing. Like it won me over. I was very skeptical and wanting to be like, like, you know, kind of like, well, here they go again. But by the end Mm -hmm. of it, I'm like, Oh no, I, I had a real smile on my face. So kudos to, to suspending my disbelief and winning me over guys. And and being smarter than the audience in some ways. Yeah. Uh, that's I, I'm always thrilled when they think of something that I haven't. Yeah, and I, I feel like in three or four instances in this episode, they had been setting us up to expect and look for one thing. Like Jimmy's reinstatement, like there's a whole bunch of things that, we, things that we're like, well, this is just going to be essentially rubber stamped. Yeah. And we're just going to be watching unfold. Maybe it's entertaining, maybe it's not. But like I feel like uh, this late in the season, new life has been breathed into the show because so many different things could happen. Yeah, uh, and this next episode, um, which I think is exciting. All right, let's move on to Lalo and Nacho visiting Hector in the nursing home to talk about Gus. Lalo recounts the Hotel Tulipan event where they burned down a man's home. Uh, he and Hector did, and Lalo reveals that he went into the home afterward as it was burning, and he took something, and he reveals what it is, which is a bell, which he mounts to Hector's wheelchair. This is where he gets his famous bell. It's the origin story. Yeah, it's pretty dark. It's a bell bell that a man he killed was ringing to get his servants to come help him Uh as they were killing him. It's pretty fucked up. Well, it's like I couldn't because there's a lot of story that's like very hinted. Like it's, you know, you're hearing a third. It's almost like hearing a phone conversation because, you know, Hector's locked in. He can't say anything. But, you know, um, I think last episode... We got the idea that this Lalo guy was essentially uh, a good Tuco, you know. Like, sure, he's a criminal, but you know he's gregarious and he's charming and he's not as violent. But this story here belies all that because uh, you know he's just really getting into the gritty about how it sounds like Hector just tortured this guy in front of his family mm-hmm. um, for 
the cry like it sounds like it's like you know like a shakedown kind of thing and the guy just wasn't you know wasn't afraid of him and wasn't going to pay and uh, uh hector showed him the error of the those ways and um i i thought it was really good and mark margolis does i actually like his performance as as paralyzed hector uh-huh. because i just like with just his lips and his breathing and his <laughs> eyebrows and his finger, he brings so much more like like you, the, the the frustration and anger and malice that is still contained in his broken man's body is palpable, palpable. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I, I, I it's it's amazing he can do that just with, um, you know, like like every tool of an actor taken away from him essentially. Yeah. Uh, which I think uh, I think is incredible. Uh, there's a lot of really small touches in this. I love like again I, I talked about on the Instant Talk podcast that Nacho here, um, you know, Mando is playing him as if he's in just total disbelief of everything that's happening to him in this episode, and he's confused and kind of detached. And I like that. I love the detail of him standing by the old lady and the old lady like grabbing her purse close, <laughs> right? Uh, because, you know, not, and that's the thing is like, Nacho is a criminal. Sure. He, yeah. He's, he's not, he's not the snatch an old, uh, a person from a old lady kind of criminal, but he is, he is a dangerous man. Uh, yeah. but like the way he played that of like, kind of like mild offense, but then like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, it's great. It's great. I love, I love the little details. Um, yeah, the, the other thing I really love that they're doing with this scene, and I guess the scene with Gus, too, is kind of creating a separation between the Salamancas and everyone else, right? Mm. The Salamancas feel like an old-school crime family right. in that you have the last name, you're part of this family, you're bred into it, uh, and everyone else is on the outside to some degree or another, you know? Right. Even Nacho, a guy who's been running their operation now across the border for nine, ten months— uh, they don't treat him with the same respect that they treat a Salamanca with. Yeah, and I it's it's interesting because like they dismiss Nacho when they start talking about the Chilean, which we know is Gus. Um, which I don't know whether that's just um, Lalo here being very prudent and cautious because he doesn't like he's not going to take anything for granted. This is the guy mm-hmm. that says. You know, this is what he's been told, but, like, you know, he's not going to trust anybody but blood. Um, and then we don't know what they all talked about, but we do know a guy, a Hector, worked up and dinging. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it comes out and he's like, ah, oh, same old Hector. He just wants to kill everybody. <laughs> right. Like, that, that's scary for an audience that cares about Gus and, and Nacho and for an audience that doesn't know Nacho's ultimate fate. Sure. Um so yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I I I thought it was a great scene. I know some people, um, you know, if, that's a thing. Like if you're not feeling this season, and I definitely felt like that was mean the last few seasons, the episodes. Um, that I could easily see how this is an yet another who well who gives a shit. This is indulgence. Like who cares if he got the bell? Who like like and also it's almost like a little bit much that this is not just a convenient way to communicate, but like something deeply. Me- but fuck, mm-hmm. I I don't know. Like the actors went for broke. Mark McGolis does great. Fucking paralyzed Hector, and it the, the it it was great. It was great. Um, I, I liked it. All right, let's move on to Jimmy and Kim celebrating their victory in a diner on the way home. Jimmy's happy that he's going to be a lawyer again in just a week. 
and they kind of discuss how they're going to choose scams in the future, which Kim says, basically, we'll know when we see it. Uh, and I, I really love the moment where, you know, there, there's a lot of shit calling, like calling people out on their bullshit in this episode. And this moment is one of them where Jimmy says to Kim, look, how how does the scam you just pulled qualify as the greater good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh that that is entirely just a justification you're coming up with in your head and kim has no words to defend herself from that she simply isn't willing to admit that he's right yeah and i think that what what's interesting is that it frames uh it frames it frames kim as the decider like she she has the the power they're not you know jimmy was excited that like you know hey this maybe we don't have the fancy office but we can be equal partners in crime or like, you know, this whatever we're doing here. And Kim mm-hmm. shuts the door on it like, nah, nah, I, it's it's, uh, you know, she, she refers to um, this uh, Potter guy who was a Supreme Court justice involved in writing this um, this Jacob Ellis v. Ohio uh, 1964 case on obscenity where Ohio had ruled a film that a theater was wanting to show obscene. And one of the the opinions is like essentially it's like I, I the judge is just like I justice rather I can't define what obscenity means like there's no like black and white statue I can point to but I know it when I see it and this isn't it, mm-hmm. um, but you can imagine <laughs> that would be super frustrating if you're a pornographer right like uh i don't have any rules or guidelines i can shoot for i just have to make a fucking thing and then hope that an old dude in a robe doesn't think it's doesn't think it's obscene um and i think you're supposed to understand that that this is what's frustrating for jimmy because jimmy in this case is the pornographer he wants to make things he wants to make things happen and yet he has to all of his ideas are be able to be shot down on a whim and Mm -hmm. You know, Kim is resistant to even like this first approach of like, okay, well, you say power, you use for powers for good. How does that apply here? She doesn't really say anything. <laughs> she's <laughs> she completely, yeah. she's a ple- completely unaccountable. So mm-hmm. I think you're supposed to understand that this is what's feeding into that, like that Jimmy is, is pinning his hopes on like, oh man, like we can do this thing together, and maybe maybe I don't need to be a part, but like we can. And and I think the more I think about it, that this is. Jimmy realizing that they don't really share a lot, but a mm-hmm. bed and a place to live, and they don't really share interests and professional alignments and all that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, it's important for Jimmy to be all enmeshed in Kim. So, yeah, and I, I honestly don't think this power dynamic here is very healthy either. To where Kim has, you know, pretty much all to say. Like at any point, she could take her ball and go home. Right? No, it's like we're not, not going to do the scam I want to do, so I'm out. Sorry. Right. Uh, no. And what's Jimmy to do? Yeah. But I mean, it's it's when you're talking about illegal activities, it's you know this isn't like you know uh, <laughs> playing power dynamics in the bedroom, right? Like it's all good, clean fun between consenting adults. It's like you know Jimmy is, Jim Jimmy comes in and is like, I want to defraud the state of Nevada because you know uh, someone's getting too close to f- figuring out wh- how I screwed over the parole board or whatever. You know, Kim like like. In a, in a healthy relationship, I think people should try to meet each other in the middle. But where do you meet in the middle on that? If someone's like, well, I don't want to break the law for that. Uh-huh. Um, but it's funny because, like, this is this is giving voice to the popular fan theory in the last few weeks that Kim will be the brains behind Better Call Saul. 
um, because he's like, you know, our powers combined. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that would like the service of like getting off of a charge and, you know, that but that's that's not what Kim wants. Kim wants I, I think it's kind of like what Jimmy says at the end is pretty right on. It just he says it angry and wounded and he's manipulative. But like, I do think that Kim wants her ideal relationship is that she lives her boring ass life. And every once in a while, Jimmy spices it up. And Jimmy's perfect life is that uh, she backs every one of his plays and they're together and everything. And that's just a fundamentally incompatible relationship goal. Yeah. And I don't know how they meet in the middle. So. No, it's interesting because we do also in this scene see sort of the true origins of Better Call Saul, the the, the Saul Goodman that we know he's talking about, you know, how his, his plans for when he gets his law license back. He's, like we suspected, going to try and spin this cell phone clientele uh, who he knows are mostly criminals into clients for his uh, practice, his law practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can kind of see, okay, this this tracks. This is the angle that he's going to eventually take. Yes. So I thought that was nice too. And now, like you know, there's the debate about him essentially being able to get around him not having a law license by practicing under Saul Goodman has reared its its head again. Oh. And I still mm, don't. I, no, I, I think what's going to happen here is they're going to scam their way back into the the license. Yeah, but I don't know. I I honestly have no clue how they're going to do it. I have no clue. Um, yeah. I mean, we can talk about it in like later on because um, there's some hints I think in the, in the in the coming next week. But like, I really don't. I really don't have any idea of how they're going to do that. All right, we move on to the final Super Lab Blast, which is at a at a crossroads. There's a hitch when they discover one of the wires isn't properly connected. Uh, while repairing it, Werner has a panic attack, and once he pulls it together, the blast proceeds successfully. What do you think? Because, like, I think this scene hinges on what is causing Werner to freak out. And I think you had a good um, uh, a, a good take on that in the Instant uh, Talk podcast, which, just to recap for the people, was... Uh, yeah, by, so my opinion hasn't changed much. I think that Werner here got the warning from Mike, who is very, very good at giving warnings. Uh-huh. Uh, that's been running around in his head for however long now. And he's scared and he's jumpy. Um, he thinks that the next mistake, no matter how large or small, could be his last. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and and so when the this wire isn't connected, he has to go down there. He he says like it. This is my job, right? Like I'm going to take charge of this because it's this is all on me, uh, which I think is reflective of what he's thinking. So he goes down there and then has this panic attack because he might come up and he might be killed. <laughs> Yeah, the a guy from Han C from Sweden wrote in and said that uh Avidasen means see you again and not not goodbye, which is an important distinction and then uh it leads you to the point of like cuz cuz if you if you look at when he begins to freak out, it's when he kind of gets close to the, the rock and sees those words. And I think another interpretation, I still like I still favor yours especially with the behavior he shows throughout the rest of the episode. But there's another take that, like, he's not necessarily afraid of this, the situation. It's, like, this reminds him of his wife and how much is he, he misses her. And he has a panic hmm. attack over, you know, the idea of being roughly halfway through and maybe not seeing her for another six to eight to ten months. Um, I, I guess I, I would question, like, how that ties in with the mistake he made. Like the, the the mistake of leaking some information oh. uh, that caused Mike to give him the warning. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's I don't know that it does. Um, so that's why I still I, I think I favor years. I'm just throwing another one out there. Um, yeah. I do like though that like you know again we know so much. So many people's fates that are the big characters in the show are set in stone. And even though I don't really care that much about Werner as a person, um, it is like you know he he's kind of a canary in a coal mine situation. Like when he goes down there, what is he going to do? And his, what, what happens to him tells us a lot about what's going to go on with Mike. And I think that's interesting. So there's just like all this tension because they set up, you know, Kai and Mike have had this rivalry brewing all season and Mike chagrin that like, you know, Kai has fucked up his expertise and he was sloppy with the work. And now Werner's going to have to go in there. And like every cinematic technique is telling us that this is Werner going in there and he's going to blow his ass up. <laughs> right. And like, then when he relaxes and lays against the explosive, I'm like, uh, they're just like, I just kept on waiting for the cut to outside the tunnel and the fire and the smoke to come out. And it just, it just never, it never comes, which is 10 minutes of, of teasing to, to no end, but it does do a really good job of very early in the episode ratcheting up the audience's anxiety and tension, which uh, was great because that's what, that's what Better Call Saul needs. It needs, it needs tension. You know? yeah. it, it, and it was always supplied by Chuck in the past, right. uh, Chuck and Jimmy, but now they've got to make up for it in other areas. And I think they've done a pretty good job selling me on, on Werner as a character. Yeah. I, I feel for Werner. I like Werner. Um, I don't want to see Werner killed. And so when he runs away, I think, oh, my God, he's just made the mistake of a lifetime because uh, Mike's going to hunt him down and Mike's going to kill him. And that's going to be the end of that. <laughs> like, it, it, I'm scared for Werner. Now, the other stakes that it has, which I think you hinted at, is the emotional stakes for Mike. And I know that's a ridiculous thing to say with a character like Mike, who apparently has zero emotions at any given time. But but we know uh, that's not true from the scene I, with Stacey. I know. Yeah, yeah, right. I know. Right. They're, they're always under the surface, but, man, they're so so far buried. Yeah. Uh, it has emotional stakes for Mike, right? Like, is he going to have to kill Werner? How does that change Mike as a character? What does that do to him? That's, to me, the most exciting part about the German plot is what it could do to Mike potentially emotionally. Uh yeah, no, I I I absolutely agree. And I also think that this is the first time that I can see Mike rationalizing a need to kill this guy. Yeah. Like because, you know, these are kind of an unforced error. This is just him going completely off the page after he's been warned. Um, and like, it's almost like, you know, it's one thing for Mike to like kill somebody as a civilian and they don't know what's going on. But like, you know, Werner went into this with his eyes wide open. Well, he mm -hmm. went into it with his eyes hooded, but that's the same thing as going in. Cause you know, like you can always just be like, you know, fuck this. This is some, <laughs> right. You know, if I was doing a programming job and they snatched me up in the mountains with a hood and drew, I'd be like, uh, you know what? Uh, I think I'm going to decline to bid on this project because I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. I don't know if it's Russian mafia, if it's fucking Yakuza, if it's mafioso. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's something. And Werner doesn't, but I think this is the thing that really dots the I's and crosses the T's for his execution. Like, you know, this is kind of beyond the pale behavior from criminals as far as Mike's concerned. Yeah, and it's it's so tragic, too, because I don't think... Let's assume Werner is thinking what I think he's thinking, which is the next mistake could be his last. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think Werner is misreading, misinterpreting what Mike and Gus view as mistakes. Yes. Setbacks, technically... Like, fall fall behinds in the schedule. Right. None of that stuff is a mistake. None of that stuff is the thing that's going to trigger his death, you know? 
it, the the thing that will trigger that is him slipping information to people that shouldn't know about this project. Mm-hmm. Like stuff that if he stays on track with the project is almost impossible. Yeah. So like he's actually relatively safe and by doing this crazy thing he's all but sealed his own fate. Do you think cuz here's the other thing that kind of bothers me is that Werner has to understand that Kai can't supervise this project forever. So if he leaves, I does he not understand that he might be dooming the rest of his German crew? He because could be. like you've got yeah. you've got the you know manual labor half of a very complex technical project and now the main guy's gone, what are you going to do hire another main guy that doesn't speak German to inter- like that's going to be like it, it does feel like the, if Werner's smart enough to do the arithmetic that you're talking about that he just doesn't care about the rest of the people dying which doesn't seem but i don't know maybe he's that maybe he's that afraid or the other thing is like you're saying uh that you're saying that like he's afraid that he makes one more mistake i wonder if mike got him so scared that he's now start thinking like hey the full implication of this that i'm like you know we're gonna be we're gonna be in tune down here when when our usefulness (laughs) is over because that's how paranoid gus is and maybe Uh if he thinks everyone's gonna die then like well fuck it i'm gonna get out um there's it's it's interesting to see exactly what what happens and how mike's going to because i don't think it'll be easy for mike to kill this guy no and i think there will be a conversation before it happens like mike will find this guy he'll say what the fuck were you thinking Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll get some insight yeah yeah, no, I, I'm I'm I am uh, against all odds reinvested in Mike and Werner. Uh, and this truck plan that they have, I guess, is to mask the uh, mm-hmm. seismic vibrations that the blast will cause. Yeah, I think it. I think it tracks because, like, if anyone decide, wants to know, like, did a fucking gas line explode or like they start to triangulate, they're going to be probably some kind of public camera, right? And they'll see this big rock holler going over the speed bumps, and they'll be like, "Oh, well, that explains it." Because I don't know. It seemed it seemed like um, it seemed like a solid strategy to me. Or mm-hmm. if you're a neighbor and you know the uh, explosion comes out of nowhere, but if it's like led up to by a big rig going. And you know that those bumps are out there. You probably hear that kind of shit all the time. Yeah. It, it becomes background noise rather than a what the fuck is that. So mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I, this is a all of the all of the heist type shit that went on this episode. I felt like met the bare minimum requirements for my suspension to be disbelieved, uh, my suspension of disbelief to be maintained. Um, obviously, you know. Uh, there's room for people to disagree and have different requirements for their suspension to be <laughs> sure their, their disbelief to be suspended. So we kind of already talked about a lot of the, the German stuff, but mm-hmm. this next scene is the German celebrating the blasting success. Everyone's having a good time except for Werner. Mike asks him what's up and he says he misses his wife. And then he has to be flown to Germany, which is just a complete no go non-starter with Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, Mike says he'll get a phone call with her tomorrow. Yeah, I think they're also showing like, because uh, like this is essentially a confidence scam that Mike is or the the Werner is pulling on Mike the whole because mm-hmm. he's even couching it and like, oh, it's this is ridiculous, it's impossible, there's no way. But then he pitches it and he's earnest, like he's expecting Mike to say yes. Um, I do wonder if there's going to be something about this extra long length phone call to his wife. Because mm-hmm. it seems significant. Or maybe he's just selling Mike that this is the thing that is going to be satisfying. I'm going to have a nice long talk with my wife. Um, also, maybe, oh, you know what? I bet it's also 
uh, maybe Werner thinks that he's not going to make it, and he's done yeah. the odds, and like if I fail at this, I'll almost certainly die. So I'm gonna have a nice long talk with my wife, and you know, leave things in a good state, and kind of like, kind of, kind of like the same way you get your will and you write home to your sweetheart before you go into battle, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because like at first I was thinking, man, there's got to be something to it. Like there's got to be some coded conversation that he's saying. But like the more I think <laughs> about it, more it's just he's getting his affairs in order because he yeah. might he might not make it out of this. All right, then we go on to Lalo. Uh, has Nacho take him to see Gus at Los Poyos Hermanos. Lalo thanks Gus for saving Hector's life. And then there's this kind of, this thing that's hard to explain. He sort of floats this idea of cutting ties with Don Eladio and making a go of it as Salamanca and Fring incorporated, essentially. But Mm -hmm. he does so as a warning not to do that, as a warning to not fuck with Don Eladio and the operation they got going. It's I, I, I don't know. It's weird. Gus turns it down. Clearly understands it's an insincere offer. Yeah. Um, and then afterward, Lalo and Nacho head to Gus's chicken farm. No, it felt like one of those mean girl situations where you get a person on three way, and the person's like, "Don't you think that Beck is a bitch?" And he's yeah. like, "Oh, kind of." And then Beck is like, "I can't believe you said that." Like Don Eladio is Becca in that <laughs> in that case. Right. Like it's um. And, but Gus is too smart for it. But mm-hmm. on the other hand. Uh, it's a very tempting offer because, like Lalo has said, like there, Hector didn't is not exactly impressed with Don Eladio, and a lot of things that he's saying are absolutely true. This this guy's a fat cat. He sits beside the pool and warms himself in a skimpy little man mankini, and uh, he he gives us orders, and we're the muscle, and like he is using a little bit of the truth, but. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. It just, it felt like mind games. He's playing with Gus that there's no right answer. Yeah, no, um, I think, I think there are several things that are happening here. One is by saying, Hey, you're the distribution of where the muscle he's saying, don't fuck mm-hmm. with the muscle. Cause you don't have it. Right. Uh, and, and if you do try and fuck with the muscle, the muscle comes after you. Right. But uh, right now we like, but, but the thing is, it's like, I, I he is definitely one undermined Gus for some, yeah. To, to, to some extent um, and, and squeeze him out of the picture, which I don't understand because, yeah, they do have the muscle. They could do it, but if they how, – how does that – like, what's the end game there? They kill Gus and just take over Los Polos Hermanos? Like, I don't know. That's a legit business. There's, like, contracts and, that have to be signed. And I guess that that's all details that could be, that could be worked out, but, like um, – I I don't know. It's well, he's also in the crucial position of being their their only source north of the border, right? Right now, yeah. So so they take him out. What do they? How do they get their drugs across? How do they get their money back? You know, right? Uh, I I don't think they can just take him out yet, but I do think the part of this is just warning him. Look, we know, we we see here that there is a potential for for you to try to make a go of this on your own, and if you do you're making a bad you're making a mistake yeah yeah uh and and it's it's not even really a threat it's more just like a like here like laying everything on the table like everybody knows everybody's score here well i think it's crucial that this comes after the meeting with don hector where he's like oh hector just wants to kill everybody i think that he's He got the lay of the land from Hector, and he's coming to get a personal gauge of Gus. Like, mm-hmm. here's the great Chilean I've heard so much about. I want to see how smart he is. And, you know, I'm going to put some insincere offers here. I'm going to put some threats. I'm also going to acknowledge the fact that 
everything equal on the surface, uh, you know, we do owe you. You did save our Don, and you did a lot of sacrifices to get him to get him there. Um, I, I, I th- so so it's like you know, Gus, if he's a lesser man, just doesn't know what to think. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, you see, like you know, Gus has got the smile plaster over his face as soon as he walks out. Damas drops, and there's ice cold Gus Fring. And then if you think Eladio thinks that he successfully cowed Gus, he gets in the car, and the first thing is like, hey, let's continue to look underneath this Chilean's fingernails and see how dirty they are. Let's get in this chicken operation, which I think is super interesting because we know that that chicken farm got <laughs> fucking destroyed. Yeah, they're going to have to find a new set. Yeah, like, or maybe they're just going to talk about it. You just assume that they went out and toured it. But, like, I don't, I, I, it's, uh, that, that's like a, one of the Breaking Bad legends, the fact that uh, they had two seasons of Gus, and on the, his second and final season, uh, that company got sold, and they started demolishing the buildings, and they literally were filming that from the front as the rear was being destroyed by bulldozers. Right. And they had, like, two days that they could, before the thing got completely demolished, to get everything filmed. So like you know it's probably it's it's probably fairly easy to knock up some kind of facade or whatever. But like I am interested to see if we see the return of the chicken farm and uh, how how that looks. Or I wonder, do you think we're supposed to understand that like that weird shipping yard that they meet in is like the backside of the chicken farm that we never saw? Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. Yeah, because I guess they could tell me that that's the backside of the chicken farm, and I'd be like, well, I can't dis I can't disprove it. Yeah. So maybe they've no. already solved that problem. I'm sure there will be some movie magic involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, a so- matte painting. They're <laughs> oh, going to do green screen with a matte painting. Vince Gilligan uh-huh. loves his classic cinema. <laughs> All right, we move on to Jimmy's reinstatement hearing, where things seem to be going very well until he gets a couple questions that he isn't prepared for, and he doesn't completely give a sincere answer. Afterward, he asks what the verdict of the panel is and finds out that they thought his answers were, in fact, insincere. So he chases down one of the panel members and he screams at him for it. But it doesn't help anything. No. The answer's still no. It rarely does. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing about fighting the fucking system, man. Like, uh-huh. And I, I, get, I keep on talking about this guy, this serial podcast. I'm not getting any money for it. But it really does fit this these episodes hand in glove because a big part of the police system and the parole system is this... You know, demonstrating contrition and remorse, which is, I mean, it can be genuine, mm-hmm. but oftentimes it's a referendum on how well people can act and how much shit you can swallow from the judge and maintain your sense of control and decorum. And from, because that's the thing, if you can get, if you can, uh, like, apparently a penitent person has no pride left. So you can just lay it on thick and tell them that they're the worst person and you've done this and that and, you know, especially with the police system in America that we have, a lot of times someone's sitting there listening to a judge hector them for something they didn't do. Mm-hmm. They're just playing the percentage of I'll pay a fine, I'll do ninety days of probation, which will be time served, and I'll get I'll get out of here with a misdemeanor, and I can go on with my fucking life. Rather risk ninety days in jail and a felony conviction, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you know, if this was Jimmy and he had got caught pushing some amount of weight and he flipped out at the judge like this, it would be, you know, it, that'd be all he wrote. And it's it's crazy that Jimmy thinks that he can double down and just whine and pitch a fit and shit. And then it reminds me a lot of like the Kavanaugh hearings we saw last week too, where you got the treat of a you know like this this guy being considered for a justice hectoring senators and stuff. It's mm-hmm. 
bizarre, but it also shows, I mean, I guess in this one instance, it works because, you know, they provoked this crazy reaction. It shows that Jimmy was probably insincere because that's certainly not how a person with genuine remorse would act. You know, I guess. No, I, I think there are moments where he approaches sincerity. Like, I think when he says that he missed the hell out of practicing the law, I, I think he's sincere. And helping his clients. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, like, we saw him with the elderly uh, people that he was helping. And a lot of those people he genuinely enjoyed helping. So, like, he approaches moments of sincerity. And I think in his own mind, he got completely there. You know, he got 100% of the way to sincerity. They should have bought it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, and the fact that they didn't shows it kind of exposes to himself that there's something more here that he doesn't want to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Kim, I think is right in the next scene where she, she kind of nails it. It's Chuck. Yeah. That's what they were looking for. And this is the thing that should be bothering him, but he's refusing to acknowledge it. But it reminds me a lot of like you see those like, you know, sometimes the murder mysteries where it's like, uh, you know, this guy, he came home and his wife is bludgeoned to death and he just has this flat affect and he acts like a serial killer. And it's like, well, well, what is a typical reaction? Because we know from inside the Chuck Jimmy relationship, Jimmy's reaction and wanting to just ghost the memory of Chuck, no pun intended, is an entirely rational response (laughs) and would have nothing to do with Jimmy's remorse about everything else that happened. Like, he has legit, re- like, hashtag fuck Chuck. Like, you know, he could have just said that at, you know. Um, but you could tell that that's what the board wanted. Like, she was leading. Like, is there any influence in right. that? Like, she's, like, saying, like, talk about your brother. Talk about your brother. But, I mean, what does that, I don't know. What does that have to do, what does that have to do with justice? Um, it's it, It'd be interesting because there's another version of, like, Better Call Saul that would have Jimmy kind of being a legal Robin Hood. Like, like understanding how fucked, like, the police system is and how, like, everything is stacked against you. Like, the prosecutor can just over-fucking-charge you, threaten you with maximum penalties, and get an easy conviction for a misdemeanor, which keeps his clearance, his, his conviction rate up. And what are you going to do about it? Like, it'd be interesting to see Jimmy... Well, that's, that's, that's a basically corrupt and unjust system, so... If you use a little corruption and justice against it, you know, it's, it's essentially a legal version of the Punisher. They didn't really go with that because I feel like that's one of the things that Vince and uh, and Peter just will not go. They are not going to criticize the American justice system hmm. um, or drug policy or anything like that. But I don't know. It could have been an, a, a more interesting version of the show. And there's a little glimpse of that where here Jimmy is confronted with this kind of basically inju- – the system wants him to be insincere to prove his sincerity. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that they, like, intentionally... Here, here's the thing. What I think they're trying to do is tell a, a very intimate character drama. And to mm-hmm. try and approach topics that are much, much larger than that mm-hmm. would, I assume, in their minds, take away from the character drama or at least right. shift the spotlight enough that you don't see exactly what they're trying to do. So I, I can understand why they don't go there. Because it doesn't feel like what Better Call Saul is, right? It's a, it's an examination of this character, Jim. Oh, yeah, no, Jimmy. totally. But I'm saying, like, I, w- I was trying to think, like, a reimagine what Better Call Saul could have looked like if they stuck to the original premise of let's just do Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman acting crazy. Mm, right. Like, they could have made that more of, like, a ba- like, like, a, like I said, a legal Robin Hood show where, you know, you got some overarching thing, but you also got the case of the weeks where Jimmy's trying to, like, you know, right or wrong or do some injustice and stuff like that. And they... sure. 
like I said, I, maybe that's a worse show. It's it's not as in depth of a character study, but uh, it would have been. This would have been on that show. This would have been a hell of a moment. Where Jimmy's kind of getting screwed over by the system he's fought against. <laughs> right. Anyway, enough of my fan fiction. All right, Mike shows up at the security trailer the next day, and Werner's talking to his wife on the phone. Once they hang up, Werner mopes around the facility, eyeing the security cameras. We know the outcome of this. Do you want to say anything about it? Uh, Kai cheats at volleyball. I just love how <laughs> they don't they don't they don't miss an episode to take a shot at Kai. Yeah. <laughs> Kai's just Kai's... A, what are his charms? He's not even good at demolition. Uh I guess not. Yeah, he miswired that thing. Right. Like he's like I've seen people put up with incredible unprofessional assholes if they're really good at their core skill set. Like really like amazingly good. Mm-hmm. Like save time and money on an order of magnitude over their replacement level good. But Kai just seems like he's an asshole and doesn't play well with others and he's sloppy in his core competency. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ, when you're dealing explosives, you know what What you should probably do? Double check your connections. <laughs> yeah. Like, it'd be I one thing like was, three strikes and you're out. Right? And that's the thing. Is like, I kept on thinking, well, he'll find a break in the line. And I kept on thinking that's, you know, that scene is like, I, you know, it's like, you know, Kai's going to do something. Like, he's just going to ch- ch- arm the system. It's like, oh, I want to do another check on this. And it's going to blow him up. But, like, <laughs> there's no frayed cord. It's just like, he didn't fucking, he didn't even screw the lead in or something like that. It wasn't tight. It's, it's just like. Right. Some some shitty apprentice type uh, fucking fucked up apprentice type work. Uh, so yeah, hashtag fuck Kai. Uh, you can even drop one of the K's and save a character on Twitter. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> All right. So Kim's preparing some gifts for Jimmy's reinstatement when she gets the bad news from him. He is furious as he explains what happened. Kim asks what he said about Chuck, but Jimmy didn't think it was important. And Kim says that was a huge mistake. Uh, so Jimmy yells at her for not wanting to be partners with him and for thinking he's some kind of fuck up and scumbag. And they part ways. Uh, later that night, Jimmy begins packing his things at Kim's place and he's sad that he's messed everything up. But Kim asks if he wants to be a lawyer still and says, well, we can start with that. Seemingly trying to take it back to zero and Turn repair page, this yeah. relationship. Yeah. I, I've been trying to figure out whether Kim really loves Jimmy and... I think she at least loves a certain idea of them because, like, it it played as genuine happiness. Her customizing his world's greatest lawyer mug to be, you know, to say again, or I forget what it's, uh, um, yeah. that she's got this leather attache case that she's, you know, customized with his initials. And she's like, I think she looks back as like, okay, this was a weird year. You know, Chuck died. Jimmy's not had his law degree. He's been scamming on the sides. And maybe I'm okay with that. But now he's going to be a lawyer again. And he'll be back on the straight and narrow. And, you know, our life will be back on track. And so I do. I do think she loves this 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 version or this this side of Jimmy. And it's taken away and this thing. And it's like there's some genuine pain there. And how she's bending over backwards to, like, I mean, honestly... I think I would have come at Jimmy pretty hard on this thing where he drives up like an asshole and starts uh, ranting and raving about this stuff. (laughs) And Kim's like very restrained about, you know, like, I I don't, you know, when when she's correct about like, well, obviously they want to talk about your brother. I can't believe you didn't know that that you, you you could get away without talking about your brother your files all right there. Like, you know, what the hell? This is all this is all part of this this kind of core nucleus. I. 
I, I don't know. Like, and Jimmy's just acting like a fucking crazy asshole. And it felt to me like he's trying to manipulate. Like, he knows that Kim has got very good reasons to be frustrated and angry with him. And he is trying to head that out off by making it about, like, her being better than him. And which I thought is pretty, which is pretty scummy to do, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I take Kim's side certainly more in this whole argument it's not even really an argument it's it's more of like we're just we're 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 getting everything on the table uh that's been brewing for so long because i think it has um and kim i i do think has like a slightly low opinion of jimmy when it comes to practicing the actual law not as low as chuck did certainly i mean chuck called him a chimp with a machine gun i don't think kimmy would ever do that but uh it's interesting because I I don't think either of them is necessarily wrong in this situation. Uh, it's just that I think Kim has more important points, and Jimmy is is acting more out of emotion. Like he, I really view like him being told that he's insincere as personally like deeply unsettling because that's one of his worst fears is that people would catch on to his insincerity. Yeah, I mean, uh, his his character doesn't work if people see him as a con man. Like, right, <laughs> and and so to have it laid bare in front of him by people who have, in my opinion, correctly read him is frightening to him. And so he's lashing out, you know, and he's lashing out at, in the wrong direction. Like, Kim is not the place where he needs to be lashing out here. Probably nowhere is. Probably himself, if anything. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel like something has been touched deep in his core here. Well, I think also it's scary because, you know, I've known a lot of people like this that are like these kind of born loser types where like you meet them and they seem superficially charming and funny and intelligent and well-read and yet they're in this low place like you know you like like you know they're not there's this is like all throughout life we've got people that're like obvious low lives and hard luck cases and you got people that just seem like they're temporarily down on their luck. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of these these people, like they they find people like Kim who want to help and who see them as like these like oh temper like they're like a puppy that's got a broken leg. And if I can just get a cast on this stupid puppy and get it home and feed it, it's gonna turn into, you know, just, just my my best friend, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality is like, like, I think what, devast- what the most devastating Kim said is, you know, when Jimmy says, oh, fine, kick a man, you're down. And she's like, you're always down, Jimmy. Like, you need to be kicked sometime, but you never get up off the fucking ground. So when can you do it from a place of a, the high ground? And that's so right. right on. And that's the thing that's really scary to Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Because as long as he can wallow and get Kim to feel sorry for her, but if she ever pierces that spell and realizes that he's he's not having a temporary run of bad luck... Yeah. He's having a long life of bad decisions that compound and keep putting him behind these eight balls, and I need to get shot of it because I can't provide him a stable environment for him, for him to heal because he'll use that stable environment as a dive platform to do a triple twist belly flop splash and hurt himself again. Like, there's there's no there's no fix in it. And... Um, and that's why this next scene, like I like when he comes in with the hangdog look and he starts mm-hmm. packing up because that's what should happen here. <laughs> but he's doing it in super slow motion and yeah. super fucking Eeyore because he wants to try to work that sympathy nerve on Kim one last time. And it works. It, it works. Yep. 
Um, and she's like, well, what, do you want to still be a lawyer? Yeah, well, let's start with that. Like, that's a bedrock thing that I can believe you on, and we'll build from there, but... Yeah, <sighs> Kim seems like the biggest sucker in the show, honestly, and at s- times. So many exit signs that she could have got off over the years, and this is the latest one where, again, like, if she just sits on that couch and drinks her long neck, she will survive. And, th- and, th- and this pro- is why I don't buy into the theory that she's running it from behind the scenes right like there there are high points yes but the valleys are so much deeper well but that's the thing like if you can push through that like you know and to get into like stockholm territory or Uh like sunk like the sunk cost fallacies like well shit i've been with this guy five like what oh my god if i've been with a loser for five years i'm the loser but i can't be because i'm not a loser (laughs) so he must not be a loser i just gotta keep trying harder and then everything like like if you can get that shit activated then you own that person and you know i'm sure everyone can think of a man or woman that has been in that position or maybe you've been in that position or Hmm. maybe you're one of the shitbags has put someone in that position and you're feeling uncomfortable right now but like that that just happens and if you can get that then that's that's where shit gets really fucking dark and dysfunctional um and i don't know i it'll be interesting like that would be that would be interesting because i'm saying like that would be a way to see kim be the brains behind like if if jimmy fully captures her and Mm -hmm. makes her feel like completely enmeshed and then it's almost like you know like i said stockholm syndrome that wouldn't be exactly her free will yeah i i just i view care i view kim's character as fundamentally uh smarter than that like right. able to to see what's going on right. and to avoid those pitfalls but right. you know when you throw in the loop of hey she wants to get back to scamming just for the sake of it then i don't know what to think about kim you know you and know? this other thing is like i want to go back to like howard in the bathroom of the courthouse throwing up and be looking like a real fucking mess and doing therapy twice a week and jimmy's like oh jesus christ this is terrible mm-hmm. you know what howard's not doing Howard's not having screaming matches with a girlfriend on top of the garage where their relationship might just explode. Like yeah. he's working that shit out and he's he's managing his 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 the, the the toxins inside of him and this is where like Jimmy's like, Oh, I'll just you know, I got a new direction, I'll keep this is what's it's it's led to you here again ten months later, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, a couple brutal months on a therapist couch might might not have been a bad idea. Yeah. All right, move on to the final scene where Mike notices some of the cameras have dead pixels on them, and he goes into the facility to check on Werner. Uh, Mike finds a letter from him and several cut locks, and Werner has apparently escaped into the desert. Yeah. Uh, They do talk about whether or not you can overload a camera with a laser in the Insider Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. And their answer was, if the camera is really old, if it's a Mm -hmm. tube camera, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, like, you know, digital CCD or whatever we've got now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can, in fact, do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I've seen this on Mythbusters because they did a lot of, like, uh, it's one of those things they did a lot of, like, high-tech security system, like how you can get around the biometric fingerprint scanner or a retinal scanner or mm-hmm. infrared scanner and all this kind of stuff. And they did, like, yeah, if you can't keep a laser in a camera, it will, like, essentially blind it. You know, it'll just overload. Uh, it, it'll just white out the screen. Um, it, yeah, I, so I think that this, like, again, like a lot of the science experiment stuff that goes on in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, I think is believable until you start, you know, you know, finding problems with it. Uh, cause it, you know, it's like, the thing is, is like this paints a picture of Mike's crew 
hey, look, one of the cameras overlooking the house is whited out for 20 seconds. Huh. Oh, now the one that's got coverage of the roof access is whited out for and a minute later. The outside is, huh? Well, okay, I guess we'll just uh, it's everything's working now. Like it kind of makes Mike's dudes look stupid, um, but that's only if you really think about it and start looking for problems. So to me, this yeah. is the exact same as Walt's fulminated mercury. Uh, hmm. It sounds good to a layman, and I felt like they did enough research that like it would survive a cursory Google search and that's the best you can hope for because all complicated schemes are pretty wildly implausible when you come down to it. But sometimes they work. Sometimes people can escape Alcatraz <laughs> by carving soap heads and making off with a raft made out of raincoats. Like right. it shouldn't happen, but it did. So fuck it. And I, I, I think about the scenario that must've happened on those screens. Like, like you were saying, all oh, the screen whited out, but before the whiteout, wouldn't you see Werner like trying to get yeah. the spot on laser pointer right at the right. camera? And and the fact that this guy can hold that while he's walking, like it, it's it it does stretch a little crazy. And also, I don't yeah. think it would cause dead pixels. Yeah, that's I, I think I that's that. the thing that I think they just made up so Mike would know something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, whatever. Like it's it's it it, it told the story they want to tell in a way that I didn't feel insulted by. So if you're yeah, a CCTV guy and you're like, oh, this is just a height of stupidity, then you know that's just your, uh, the you, that that's just your bad luck to have a profession that the show shit on. So and I think <laughs> the rest we, of us, it's fine. We did a pretty good job in the instant take pod, instant talk podcast talking about uh, maybe some of the implications here. Uh-huh. Uh, for Werner as he goes into the desert and uh-huh. Mike goes after him. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about it a little here, so I don't feel the need to go over that again. Uh, anything else you want to say about this scene? Mm, Final no. scene of the episode? No. All right, then that's it. Hey, Jim, before we get to feedback, uh, I got a new so- uh, time-saving trick. Do you want to hear about it? Sure. Uh, I got my contact lens prescription renewed while in my own home in under five minutes using an awesome new app called Simple Contacts. Now, uh... Hardcore bald movers might know that I habitually wear glasses and they're like, why are you advertising contacts? The fact of the matter is I do use contacts to play like sports when I go skiing, when I'm doing astronomy. So I don't wear them frequently, but I do wear them. And it's always a pain to you know get those renewed every year. Uh, Simple Contacts is here to let you renew your prescription and reorder your own brand of lenses from anywhere in minutes through an online vision test. It's designed by doctors, and every test is reviewed by a doctor licensed to practice in your location. So they're literally bringing the doctor's office to your home. So I tried it out, and here's how it works. You take your phone. You download the app that's right on the Google Play uh, app. Uh, I propped it up on my bookshelf, made sure I had 10 feet away. The phone, like, there's, like, a lady doctor that tells you, like, back up, back up, or come a little forward. Once (laughs) you're in the right range, it then takes you through a vision test, just like the doctor's office where you have to read certain lines. um, And you uh, complete it, and you submit it in less than 24 hours. uh, A doctor that's licensed to practice in your state uh, will verify your order my vision test was renewed, and then I could order contacts off the site. And they had the exact same brand that I've been using. I use AccuView 2s. Uh, they had the exact same brand that I was able to quickly purchase. Um, unfortunately, we got this campaign kind of late, so I didn't get the contacts in. But 
they're AccuV2s unless they're made from like recycled saran wrap, which I do not believe. <laughs> I think they're going to do the trick. And we're going to be doing a couple more ads with these, so I'll, I'll update people in the future. Uh, question for you real quick. Does it also have an app for iOS devices? Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Uh, so if you're an app, if you got that brand new Apple X, XD, Triple X, <laughs> the squeak will... You, you or, are, or one that actually exists, yeah. Or, or one of those that actually exists. Uh, I'm a Google guy. What can I say? Um, so the contact lenses prices are incredible. The vision test is only $20, and shipping is free. And if this sounds good, I can make it even better because you can get $20 off your first simple contacts order with promo code BCS. Try yourself and save 20 bucks on your lenses by going to simplecontacts.com slash BCS or entering the code BCS at checkout. Now, my uncle, who is actually an optometrist, would be the first one to tell you that this is not a replacement for a periodic full health exam. You need, still need those occasionally, especially me, who suffered a detached retina in the past, and I got every couple of years get to check that, make sure it's not re-detaching or some shit like that. Uh, but it is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Like LeVar Burton, you don't have to take my word for it. Simple Contacts is over 5,000 five-star ratings on the App Store. That's pretty impressive. Again, get 20 bucks off at simplecontacts.com slash BCS or enter the code BCS at checkout. Save time, save money, save yourself a headache with Simple Contacts. Well, let's get the feedback then. Feedback is sent to bettercastsaul at baldmove.com. Uh, you can also participate in our forum threads each week uh, on forums.baldmove.com. Uh, Tommy, I got a couple of uh, feedbacks from last week. Uh, I just listened to your Koshada episode. The stuff Kawadi is a Chilean message. Werner Ziegler sleeps with the Kawadis. <laughs> okay. So there you go. There you go. As long as uh-huh. it doesn't involve me. Uh, it's, 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 it's good. It's good to go. Uh, John G is it possible that Kim's hair per- hairpin turn is a reaction to Chuck's death. It's been months now with boring banking law. She tried pro bono good deeds. What if nothing is fixing whatever's broken inside her like her should, like it should not financial success, not moral ethical success. What if it's just finally hitting her that she idolized Chuck as she was coming in from the mailroom and the great Chuck, Mr. Illegal Minutia, died alone in his house, suffering from a psychotic break, setting himself on fire. Maybe she's thinking, look, it's been months and Jimmy seems fine. Maybe his way is better. Maybe you need to let go before you get wound so tight you end like Chuck or even Howard. Maybe she thinks, look, we used to get uh, used a trick to get a man out of prison. Who did we hurt? Maybe Jimmy's point about uh, we don't know Kim Sinter and it's the person who looked uh, looked up to Chuck is exactly right. Uh, but then, but that was then and Chuck is now dead. So I think I butchered the last sentence or so, but the main point of this is Kim sees the path of the straight life, uh, straight laced legal Eagle. He sees Chuck who was such a basket case. He lost his wife, lost the things were important to him and then set him, then died horribly. And Howard looks like a basket case of psychosis too. Shit, Jimmy seems happy and fine. Maybe, maybe like I, that, that that feels like a as valid a character read as any. What do you think? I mean, I think there's a little bit of that in there. I do yeah. think Chuck was kind of uh, an inspiration to Kim, and she probably would take his death a little bit harder than uh, a, a stranger would. You know, yeah. I mean, she's not like really good acquaintances with Chuck. She's not like best buds or anything and she's not gonna take as hard as like howard or jimmy but yeah yeah i think there's a little bit of that mixed up in there 
Um, there is a question from Brett from Brooklyn uh, who says he kind of felt the same way we did with Koshetta, kind of left out in the cold. Um, he says he had a problem with one of the details of Simi's, uh, Jimmy's phone call. Uh, Jesus, track phone scam. Uh, it says, where did Jimmy get all those burner phones? Or more specifically, where did he get all those phones, which surely must have been northern Louisiana area codes in order for the assistant DA to be tricked? With early 2000 burner phones, you pretty much get whatever number they give you. And while Jimmy certainly has the CC mobile hookup for all of the phones, the 505 phones he could ever want, the 318 phones would be a lot harder to come by. If you don't know, those are the area codes for New Mexico and Cachetta, I'm assuming, respectively. He probably couldn't order them from work or change the numbers on his local stash without a paper trail. I suppose Jimmy could have bought them on his road trip like Bernard in The Wire, but their identical look makes me think they're from his work. Um, they are. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't know how any of this stuff works, but I would assume that Jimmy in the last 10 months knows this procurement system inside and out because the reality is, is he's moving a lot of these phones outside the store and he's got to have a way to, um, you know, avoid suspicion. And he's probably had at least one person saying, hey, can I get this outside of an area code? And he's got a way to do that. Like you just, you know, Jimmy's been in this job for almost a year. He's bored as shit except for actually going out and selling the phones. So, you know, I just I just think that – and he's the manager of a store. He's not just like a clerk. So he's mm-hmm. probably got some kind of administrative overrides kind of things that he could do that, like, not just everybody could. So I guess I don't have the same problem as you do with the scheme, Brett. Um, and also, it'd be terribly valid for him to go to a CC store in or, or like, or the equivalent in Louisiana and – use his connection maybe to uh, b- buy a bunch of phones there if he had to. So, like, I think there's, again, it's like if you're just not thrilled with the episode, you start looking for reasons why. Yeah, I, th- I think the the bigger thing here is maybe they just didn't really think it would be a problem. Yeah, because you that's know? the, yeah, I mean, and it, it wasn't a problem for me, so I think that, like, if they're, if they're betting on the viewers, they're probably making safe bets there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin H. has a question. Where has Howard been? Uh, what has Howard been up to in the last ten months? I mean, now that we've checked in with Nacho, he's like the only big like what the hell's going on with him kind of thing. I guess Stacy, Stacy and Michael, though I just understand they're just back to normal. Got some spoilers from the preview for next week, but yeah, I'm not going to drop them. We 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 might get an answer to that this coming week, Devin. Um, Barry C. Moving on to new details. Which origin story did you need less this year? Hector's Bell or Han Solo's blaster? <laughs> uh, probably, uh, probably the blaster i mean yeah i i definitely i i'm one of the ones that actually thought solo was a pretty good star wars film i yeah. was entertained i my mm-hmm. expectations are very low after you know everyone's everyone that cares about star wars knows where the state of the fandom is i thought it was pretty good but like i guess they're equally han didn't really execute it that well it's just like hey here's this uh takedown rifle that looks like a blaster here you go kid whereas the bell at least had a personal story that gave us more details about lalo and hector and their relationship i mean shit we didn't even know for sure exactly you know some person wrote in and was questioning whether they're even related um or like what level they're related but he's calling hector uncle and he's got these stories from hector's youth so like that sells us that he is not just some random third cousin once removed he's an intimate part of the of the salamanca family so. No, I think Better Call Saul rubs up against too cute sometimes. Um, 
and maybe this bell was an instance, but you want to talk about too cute. Solo had that in spades. Like Solo was trying to answer every question you've his, ever had about Han Solo's his fucking origin. last name. His his last fucking name, Chewie's name. Like I mean, they did so much shit in that. Right. I, I enjoyed the movie. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was yeah. fun. But there was uh, little eye rolly things. Yeah. There were some very big eye rolls in that movie, though. Uh, P.S. Barry says, I'm guessing whatever Kim has planned to get Jimmy back in the law game will include a loophole that means he has to change his name to Saul. I, I don't know, because I just know that like legal advertising is one of the most bizarrely regulated things in the planet. And mm-hmm. the idea that someone could hang a shingle out as a fictitious identity... I mean, I don't know. Fuck it. Maybe you can. Maybe you can fill out a DBA and just, like, get around all that stuff. But it, it's it, – I don't know. Now, maybe uh, I'm putting out a feeling for, like, Doug L. or anybody else who wants to do a legal corner next week. Um, and, of course, you know, obviously if next week's episode invalidates all this. But I would like to know if we're going to go with the Jim and Kimmy uh, – Jimmy-Kimmy fusion theory for Better Call Saul. Would it be legal for a qualified lawyer that has a law degree – to be the the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain that is Better Call. So, like, Saul's the name brand. Like, mm-hmm. Keller and Keller. Is there a Keller and Keller? And, right. And Are like, those guys' what, names actually Keller and Keller? Or is Keller go, and Keller a brand? When I go to Keller and Keller, I'm not going to – I guarantee I'm not going to get Keller and Keller. I'm going <laughs> to get one of their – Maybe one get, if you're lucky. It, I, no, I probably, I'm going to get one of their associates or whatever that. Like, could, could – yeah. Like, you know, like what level? I mean, so that's obviously kosher. And you can have actors that are in Keller and Keller and aren't Keller and Keller and saying you need the law office of Keller and Keller. Like, I, I wonder if it is like you could, as long as the lawyer that actually signs all the papers and does all that stuff is a legit lawyer, then mm-hmm. Jimmy could just be like, like Saul can just be essentially a mascot. But I don't yeah, know. Or, like, or he can run a brand as a law firm, right? Like if, you know, Coca-Cola was practicing law. Well, there's nobody named right. Coca-Cola. Right, but right, it's a right. legal entity, so I just, that's... That w- I just feel like if that was something you could do, that you would see law firms getting, like, famous people to rep their brand. You know? <laughs> right, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Law like, Office. Or Sam sure. Watterson. <laughs> you know, get the guy from fucking Law & Order to be like, uh, hey, I've played a DA for years, and this Shatner, firm- Shatner, and Shatner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come to whatever, you know, uh, come to the Law & Order LL- LLC or LLP, and we'll set you, we'll get the, ch- we'll get the chung-chong and everything. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I'd, I'd be curious. I'd be curious. I just know that I, I, I for about a year, dated uh, a lawyer, and I just remembered being like, you know, like how much weird shit is about advertising and what you can say and how what, how you can promise results and like, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of weird ways to get around it, though. Anyway, well, what if what if part of the the scam involved in getting his license back is requiring him to change his legal name to Saul Goodman? But what kind of fucking requirement is that? Like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea how he's going to scam his way around this uh, okay. license thing. So I mean, who knows? What if a lawyer provide is like is, provides testimony against a criminal defendant and enters the witness protection agency? Mm-hmm. Okay, but they, he still has to. Pra- he still wants to practice law, so they require him to change his name and practice law under that. But then, right. like, what you're showing your face? Yeah, I can't figure it out. We need we need a legal we we need a legal corner. Hmm. Um, let's move on to Kurt M. I didn't get the same sense that Werner is worried about being blown up. I thought he saw the word Avidersen, uh, which means to see again on the boulder. It made him sentimental about his wife. Okay, we talked yeah. about that in the podcast already. Could be. Um, 
He says, the Boulder demo scene and the Lalo scenes popped attention like so few other things did this year. As you guys have repeatedly said, being a prequel and knowing the fates of most of these characters really diffuses a lot of the tension. As good as Jonathan Banks, Michael Mando, and Ray, uh, Ray Seahorn are, I can't wait to see until we get to the Gene era and into some uncharted waters. I do agree. I am... Like, like... Even if they, even if they kind of like, I left me the mat on this season. I do think season five promises to be pretty exciting, um, and I don't think they're going to. I think they're like they always do. They pull, they pulled out of their mid season slump, and they're going to uh, have a little sense of urgency going into the finale. Uh, finally, Kurt says, "If you well, not finally, penultimately, Kurt says, if you look at the season, I can't help but think it will wind up as almost the same spot as where we started. Mike will still be alive, as will Gus. That's a lock." There will still be a threat from the Salamancas, but from Lalo, not the Cousins or Hector. Jimmy will have his law license back, but still be with Kim and trying to do the lawyer thing together. Nacho will still be under Gus's thumb. It really feels like this whole season hasn't moved the board much. It's been entertaining, but likely not much change in character statuses. I'm still on board, but I'm starting to tap my foot a bit, waiting for some change to happen. Uh, I totally feel Kurt on this. And you can almost say the same thing about the previous three seasons where the only real change was Chuck's death. Um, You know, uh, this show, because it is a prequel and it is kind of locked in, you know, they can't just rearrange everything. They got to follow the tracks. Yeah, the thing I liked about Breaking Bad is they always had a replacement for the tension, right? Like, as soon as you... Because I'm thinking in Better Call Saul... They were kept ratcheting up that tension with Chuck, and they did it over the course of three seasons, and it always felt fresh to me. Yeah. Until they kill him, and now they've got nowhere for Jimmy to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't the case in Breaking Bad. They always had the next hurdle for Walt to jump. Right. Uh, and it was always a bigger hurdle, and you right. looked at it and said, "How the fuck is he going to get over that one?" Uh, so I, I don't know. They, they, I agree. This season has left me not as excited about the show as I was at the end of season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that was like the high water mark uh, of the show. Unless they do something great in season five. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what it is. Cause I, I don't know that Jimmy has any more hurdles like Chuck to jump. Yeah. I will say this, that like I, I do, I do express frustration sometimes, but I would be, as surprised as anything. If the very last, if like, if, 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 there isn't like a genuine shock or twit or interesting twist or a satisfying emotional beat that this series ends on. Mm-hmm. Cause I do think that regardless, like they've kind of like, I think with this gene stuff that they've kind of been building towards something that they've got an idea, kind of like the, the chips, the Mr. Chips, the Scarface thesis that they've got something that they're shooting for. And I think it's going to be real good. You might say, gee whiz, we could have gotten there in three seasons instead of five. You could have done five seasons of eight episodes instead of ten or whatever. But I, with this pedigree and the quality that they're, they're capable of, when they do get into the Gene era, when we do get find out what this November surprise phone call is, I do think it's going to be a whopper. Um, yeah. I don't have any doubt. Like I, that would be a, a, a sh- if, if like at the end of this, the, the, the fan consensus is this is kind of – maybe droll but ultimately a waste of time i would be high i'd be shocked i'd be shocked about that um this is one for you uh, uh kurt's got one final question is anyone else annoyed at mike the mike bearman trout inside joke on the insider podcast <laughs> i find it annoying especially when layered on top of the constant ass kissing i love to just once hear vince peter say you know what that fucking grip he sucked useless guy uh, how, how can you get annoyed at something they do 
maybe once every other episode, if yeah. that often. I and it, I think, and it lasts like five seconds, if that. Like I don't know. Is the danger of shtick right? Like we yeah, talk about it all not, the time. It's not obnoxious. It, yeah. All all Mike Bermontrout is there to do is correct the the mistakes or fill in the knowledge that they need but don't have. So yeah. I I don't care. Well, the other thing is, is like, I think it's poor form for a boss to shit on their employees, and ultimately Vince and Peter <laughs> sure. are responsible for hiring all those people. So if they've got a bad person, then guess who's to blame, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, even if they did have a guy who maybe didn't do as good a job, like, ultimately they're the one that put him in that position to fail. So, anyway, let's move on to Nathan E. Uh, I liked uh, the idea of Kim working behind the scenes with Saul during Breaking Bad times was growing on me, but however, recently... My roommates started their incredible Villa Gang journey through Breaking Bad, and I've been rewatching it with them. And, well, Saul's just a pretty bad dude from the moment you meet him. Walt and Jesse ask for his help to get Badger out of jail after he was busted with the blue. Saul says there's no way to get him out by giving him Heisenberg, and then jokes and insists multiple times that they should just kill Badger as the best way, and is genuinely confused when they'd rather pay 80000 to have the fake Heisenberg take the fall. Saul later suggests killing Hank and Jesse and has evolved in all manner of criminal behavior no matter how bad. The Jimmy we know as of now is still so far from Saul. He really has to have a major breakdown and not give a single fuck about anything to end up the way we know him in just a few years. As Mm -hmm. far as Kim, a few scams are one thing, but I can never see her sinking down to Francesca level and go knee-deep in murder and meth money laundering. I think Kim will either way call the vacuum guy and disappear or get herself killed. Sadly, her death could be the very thing that makes Jimmy flip his shit and complete his transformation. That's a good point. Um, when we think about the scope of Saul's scum and villainy, but here's the thing. I think you guys are thinking that Jim, Jimmy and Kim's relationship remains static through this time rather than Jimmy always moving the moral... Uh, always looking to push the moral Overton window. You know, Kim has lived with Jimmy for 10 months and she had no idea he's doing this, elite, this like borderline shady track phone. So like, what if he gets her on board with, we're going to be the, ju- we're going to be the judicial re- first resort for like the low lives of Al- Albuquerque and everyone's entitled to a competent defense, right? And Kim gets on board with that, and then he starts doing this drug laundering shit on the side as another thing for him, kind of. And he doesn't tell her. Like, why isn't that possible? Like, Kim thinks yeah, may- this is- Maybe, but I-, I really think this email brings it into pretty clear focus. Um, just yeah. look at the person, the human being that Saul is. Yeah. I don't think Kim could love a man like that. I agree. I agree. But on the other hand, I didn't think she could love a man that would lie about his, you know, clandestine, nocturnal, shady shit. And yet here we are. So it's like it's that whole boiling a frog, the whole. Maybe, but I agree with the fact that he is very, very far from who he is in Breaking Bad still. I I think here's what I think. I think that Vince and Peter, or I guess now Peter, we're just going to blame Gould from here on out. Yeah. Uh, I think that they are laying this track, and it's a false track. It's exactly the way that they've they've got us to zig, and then they zag in this episode to get some genuine surprise. Like because there, like we said, there is no real surprises. So whatever they do, they have to manufacture. They are manufacturing a situation we're expecting them to get, and people are already going, and then they're going to shatter that illusion. And, you know, provide because like I I agree with his the main thrust that Jimmy that Saul as shown in Breaking Bad is a man who has completely lost whatever good was in him. He is Mm -hmm. an amoral sleazeball, whereas Jimmy is a moral sleazeball still at this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Anyway, he also uh, continues with a nice little uh, note where he goes, by the way, shameless Breaking Good plug uh, with the rewatch of Breaking Bad with my roommates has come. The Breaking Good re-listen. I joined Bald Move after you were finished with Breaking Bad, so now I have so many hours of hilarious insight entertainment surrounding my favorite show to consume my ear holes. And Apple Podcasts organizes all episodes in order perfectly. Um, so, yeah, we don't talk about this a lot, but we have complete coverage of the whole Breaking Bad universe. Um, it was the, our first show. It was a very successful show, and I, I'm very proud of it. Like, Breaking yeah. Bad is one of our favorite shows. We Seasons four through five, it's so much fun to speculate and play along. So if you haven't got a chance to listen to that, um, uh, you know, uh, check it out. Check it out. Some of the first episodes are rough because we didn't know what we were doing, but we, we, got, we found our footing. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, Nick L. As insincere as we think Jimmy sounds, aren't we a little biased since we can see him, quote-unquote, behind the scenes and know he's obviously being insincere? Jimmy is a damn good actor, and to the room, I think he comes off as sincere. I think he could have played up the line about Chuck and come off as sincere, even though he doesn't truly feel that way about Chuck. But does he really feel that sincere about anything he's saying in that room? Um, I mean... Not, not most of it. I think there's only one moment, like I said, where he approaches it. And that's, like I said, that's the ridiculousness of this situation, to come yeah. across as sincere he'd have to insincerely be sincere about chuck's death right so um i mean like i said if he'd spent the last 10 months in therapy to where he can find like you know he got into the root cause of his trauma and unpacked all this family shit and like you know have a, a real appreciation of what his brother went through and his maybe but like as presently constructed i don't think he's capable of doing what this board wants him to do uh, Miguel C., I have a friend from south of France who lived in Mes- Mexico City for many years, and his accent when he speaks Spanish is amazing. Uh, mostly that he sounds just like a regular, lived there all my life Mexican. He probably sounds more like a Mexican than I do, and I was born in Mexico. Uh, that's probably why this Lalo Salamanca character is so fascinating to me. I didn't know the actor. He's from Laredo, Texas, I found out. But to me, he sounds very different from the usual suspect Mexican actors I've seen in media these days. Lalo's Spanish sounds just like my French friend, pretty much. Which is kind of funny. Uh, I think what I was this, hearing about this guy is that he actually nails uh, the the Mexican accent. Yeah, probably because he M- might much more have so a yeah. natural Mexican accent. Right, right. Um, I think this small detail adds a nice dimension to his character. So kudos to the casting, writing, dialogue, and language coordinators, as well, of course, to the performer. And I totally buy that Salamanca sent one of their guys. He's very different from the other capos in the show. I wonder if there's a similar thing happening with the Germans and how effective and authentic I've heard their accents and dialects are. Mm-hmm. Jim, do you think that uh, perhaps the Villa gang are paying a little bit more attention? Because I know it's been a oft-sided criticism that if you are a native speaker, some of the Spanish by people like Don Eladio, Gus Fring, um, uh, Hector who are supposed to be Spanish as fuck, but neither of them are native speakers is pretty bad. It's yeah. pretty bad. Um, I, as a monolingual, dumbass, typical American, don't have those problems. But, I mean, yeah. why? Wh- if, if all else being equal, you can get a good actor with an authentic Spanish accent or a good German actor with an authentic German or Bavarian or Austrian accent, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, it's not like there's probably a shortage of qualified actors under those rubrics. Jeff from Lincoln Park uh, was catching up on this season and binging your podcast as well. Well, thank you. In your episode five, Pinata, you discussed how you weren't sure action-packed Gus who puts bags over people's heads tracked with the Breaking Bad era Gus. 
You know, at first I agreed. I really did like the way Gus delegated his duties to his lieutenants in Breaking Bad, except for a few necessary exceptions that mandated he took action, such as Box Cutter and Salude. But then I thought about other gangster types rise to power. Most notably, of course, I thought of Vito Corleone. In The Godfather Part 1, we see Don Vito as calm, patient, and calculating, much like Gus. However, we later find out in Godfather Part 2, Vito had to take actions in his own hands when he killed Don Fanucci and also took revenge back in his homeland days of Italy. I think Gus is tracking a similar rise in the early goings of making a major move like taking over to cartel territory in the southeast U.S., southwest U.S., rather. Uh, Gus had to take actions himself and couldn't afford to delegate until his power and agency were thoroughly established. Um, See, I, I might agree with this if he didn't already have his guys, right? Yeah. Like, if he didn't already have this empire set up and Victor and uh, Tuvok mm-hmm. it, as as his muscle. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no. But he's got that. He's got that already. I, I Like I said, I, I definitely there's the archetype that you could follow, but I feel like... That's more Gus with his partner's brains. Blow. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if if you don't have a Luca Brazzi, then sure, you got to strangle some fools or something, right? Like, but right. Once you do, yeah, you, ha- you have Luca do it all. Yeah, because like, I, I so here's the thing. I don't feel like we're watching Gus make his bones here. Right. I think Gus right. has already made his bones, no matter what area we've seen televised, except for maybe when he shows up beside the pool and Max gets his brains blown out. Exactly. Like, that might be. Maybe that's the problem. He hadn't made his bones, and he's being arrogant and all that and stuff, and relying on his reputation from Chile, which didn't give a shit, you know, in, in Central Mexico. So, I I don't know. It's one of those. But but I to me, it, he doesn't read as a guy who needs to, um, you know, do everything himself. He's got guys like Jim said, and you know, he's got his Luca Brazzi. He's got several. Uh, so, you know, what is Mike? Mike's like a consigliere. That occasionally gets his hands dirty. Yeah. He's like a combination Bratzi, uh, Tom Hagen. Sure. Uh, finally, we're going to have our first ever psychologist count uh, corner. Uh, hmm. This is kind of a lengthy email, and it's uh, it's uh, uh, Tom Jones, who is a licensed marital family therapist, who wrote in a couple weeks ago. He says, on your cast is something stupid. Aaron asks about the psychology of self-sabotaging behaviors and the idea of control using the metaphor of people preferring to drive than fly, despite flying being safer, because they have that control. You also said the armchair chair psychologist. What do you think about that? As the most, most recent therapist to be read on the podcast, I'd like to chime in with the hopes that I become the official advisor to all things psychology in the bald move universe. And I assume you guys will provide my business cards. Um, either <laughs> we, have way, a mon- we have a monogrammed uh, briefcase for you. We do. We do. World's greatest therapist again. Uh, either way, I felt like this would be a fun time to psychoanalyze a few of the characters in the show. I'll be working partially out of a person- personality diagram called the Anagram, or it might be a Neagram. The Anagram uh, characterizes personality types and includes things like core motivations, weaknesses, strengths, uh, what health looks like, what dysfunction looks like for each type of personality. It lists nine personality types, and some appear on Better Call Saul. Are you familiar with this psycholo- psychology- psychological test? Not at all. Because it's funny because I've been ex- I've experienced it like multiple different times. The first time I heard it is like the very first time I went to a therapist and she wanted me to do this thing. And I told her, it's like, I think this is a bunch of fucking pseudoscience mumbo jumbo. <laughs> and she called me the most arrogant person that I'd ever met. And uh, I didn't I didn't get on with that therapist. So and then hmm. I had to take it as like because the one of the jobs I held, the, the, per- the person ran the company 
fucking the sun rose and set based on this fucking personality test hmm. it was it was ki- kind of kooky so like i don't know i don't know how prescriptive it is uh tom jones has got uh you know some professional degrees we're just going to go with it all right uh, number one, Jimmy. Aaron's right about his control factor. If you remember my email from a few weeks ago, I described many of the characters in the show as doers and how doers tend to have a hard time in therapy because a key step is letting go of control, something they so desper- desperately wish to do. The Enneagram would list them as a type three and call them achievers. Achievers have notably fixated on some perceived measure of success and growth. If they aren't growing, they, are sat- they aren't satisfied. So let's discuss control for a second from the perspective of threes. For many people, the loss of control can feel like literal life and death. Imagine an adult child of an alcoholic or any kind of unstable home life. As a child, this person learns to create as much control as they can because their household is chaotic. They believe that if they don't control everything in life, that the world will fall apart because as a child, that very well might have felt like the case. They grow up and have to take that controlling energy and put it into their spouse or kids or friends. Jimmy has a deep desire to control and not let anyone take control for him and is willing to sabotage himself because at least it's him doing the sabotage and not letting someone else do it. Jimmy has a hard time opening up to Kim for the exact same reason. Being vulnerable as someone is the ultimate form of giving up control. You're putting your emotions, feelings, and self-image and putting it into the hands of someone else that could either embrace or crush it. So many people find it easier to just blow up as the other person has crushed that vulnerability rather than letting the person in and giving them the chance to actually do it. I think that's interesting because I do that tracks with Jimmy, like taking the words out of Kim's mouth and and presenting the worst version of those accusations. So Kim then feels like she has to like defend Jimmy from himself. Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, Jimmy has a deep desire to control and not... Oh, I already read, already read that. Uh, Kim is more self-aware than Jimmy. She works harder than him and is an honest lawyer, yet somehow is fairly emotionally available and articulate in relationships. Often with high-stress jobs, you get more of the Jimmy type, where everything is about work and learning how to be emotionally available is harder. But Kim still struggles to find middle grounds with Jimmy. Uh, but if you were dating Jimmy, I think it, uh, you'd have a hard time to do so. Which brings me to Kim's analysis. She has a personality type of a helper, which is a two on the Enneagram. Uh, Helpers are defined by the desire to improve the lives of the people around them. We see this in Kim when she helps Jimmy over and over and also with her desire to do pro bono work. It's a very sweet personality type, and these are very sweet people, but oftentimes the motivating factor is a dark one. Helpers often feel unworthy of love or feel that they have to perform in order to receive love. So they perform forever and find themselves getting taken advantage of. Oftentimes, you see this personality trait come up with codependent relationships, which seems like the direction that they're heading with Kim and Jimmy. Uh, four, or Chuck is an eight, which is called the protector type. Protectors believe that you must be strong and powerful to assure protection and, to re- and regard in a very tough world. Consequently, protectors seek justice and are direct, strong, and action-oriented. They can also be overly impactful, excessive, and impulsive. Uh, if that doesn't describe Chuck, I'm not sure what does. They can disregard the feelings or experiences of anyone else in their quest for justice or fairness, but a healthy eight can be an incredibly effective communicator and a measure of dignity and decency. Chuck, however, has been dealing with what he considers to be injustice his whole life because Jimmy is an unethical, sleazy clown, and he gets more love from people than he does. Um, It doesn't click for Chuck because the world in his mind should be measured by justice above else, so he takes that unfairness out on Jimmy. Um... 
He also has some brief uh, comments on Mike. He says, Mike's also an eight, I think, but presents very differently than Chuck. His internal code is steadfast and very important in a way he does business in the criminal enterprise. We see him being very dedicated to the people and the work he does. His code is more internal, while Chuck's is more external. Chuck believes himself king of justice and must enforce that on others, while Mike applies what he believes to be justice to himself, and that's usually good enough for him. Um, so anyway... That is uh, his kind of analysis. I thought the stuff that he says is interesting about Jim and Kimmy. Uh, Jesus Christ, Kim and Jimmy. <laughs> ah, can't I always get that stuff flipped. Do you have any comments on that, Jim? I just want to know what Tuco is. What, what <laughs> the hell number is he? <laughs> well, what I recall is like there are – so like you've got – for every personality type, there's like the toxic version of that. Like mm. for the protector, might be like an abuser or a controller, you know. Uh, a helper, like the toxic version of helper, is like a doormat, you know? Mm. So, like, I guess Tuco, Jesus Christ, what would Tuco be? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Remember. But he would be the, whatever the toxic version of the thing that he is, is. Like, uh, maybe for sure. The, like, there's, I think there's a free spirit, like, you know, like, uh, like hmm. type and, like, the free spirit, like, the toxic version is the asshole. I don't know. <laughs> but whatever it is, that's, that's, that's Tuco. Um, yeah. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Tom. That was interesting. Mm. Uh we accept feedback 24-7 uh, throughout the season of Better Call Saul. You can send it to bettercastsaul at baldmove.com. Bettercastsaul, not call, cast. Bettercastsaul at baldmove.com. And you can also join us on the forums and discuss the latest episode with your fellow fans at forums.baldmove.com. That's it. That's it for this week. I cannot wait to see what craziness happens next week on the finale of Better Call Saul. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, someone, this, this might be a little bit of a spoiler, uh, but it's, it's something I saw interesting on Reddit, and I want to talk about it. So, I'm just going to, like, uh, pussyfoot around until everybody wants to turn it off, can turn it off. Um, the last two episodes of this season, they begin with W's. We got, we, um, we got uh, Vitason, um and what is hold on a second jesus i should have had i can't remember uh, the last the, episode the next one is called walter white uh no. actually yeah <laughs> it's it's not literally but that's that's what i think we're I going i think i know where you're going with this yeah yeah it's winner okay so you got avitason and winner uh-huh. um is that a hint like people have been like i feel like this died off in the last few episodes but there was a lot of speculation that we might get a walter white cameo uh, we know that Vince does do shit like this. The 747 down over Albuquerque. Uh, is it possible that this is the WW Walter White? We're going to get a, a Brian Cranston cameo in the final. What 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 would you say the odds, odds are in that if you're handicapping? Uh, I I doubt it, but maybe. Um, the I don't know. I don't know how to do the odds in handicapping. Like a plus two. I. I don't know. Is that 50, a thing? You could do the 50-50, three to one, whatever. You don't have to do the <laughs> okay. Vegas. Uh, I think it's like an 80-20 no. Huh. I uh, think I'm I'm a little bit more 60-40. Uh, yeah. The thing, I just don't know. It, it would if, if it happens, it's the triumph of Vince and Peter putting the clamp over AMC's marketing department. Mm, because, yeah. by God, AMC wanted everyone to know that Gus was coming back next year. Mm-hmm. They've for whatever reason, making sure everyone knows that these are the last episodes of Rick Grimes, so right. they're spoiling potentially week seven of The Walking Dead. Um, 
they're monsters. They're running amok. I, uh, but I, I, there is something nice about this because we do know he likes playing with titles. It amuses him, and that WW that was a you know linchpin moment of of, of Breaking Bad. I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in it. But could be it could be VW though. Vitor saying with all the German connections. That's right. It might just be it just might be a reference to Volkswagen, and it'll be Walter White. We well, it'll be the origin story of how he gets to Aztec. We'll have a nice cold open of him uh-huh. driving his VW, and it breaks down, and he has to get. You know, he does he does like fifteen minutes of research on Consumer Reports. He finds out the Aztec has got a, a excellent mechanical reliability, and uh-huh. it's not very popular. You can get it for bottom dollar, and uh, he buys it. Yeah, all right. So cold it's, open. It's, it's, there you it's go. Both a Volkswagen. German reference and Walter White. It's everything coming together. Bravo, Vince. Bravo, Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll see what happens next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.